My message is entitled, Prayer is the Greater Work. And we're going to start again in Luke 11. I'm just going to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray this morning. I pray that you just come and you speak to every single one of us something about what it is to pray to you this morning. There's been some great teaching over the last couple of months on prayer. And this house of prayer has been born. And really, it's surpassed our expectations. Not that we were faithless, but it has surpassed our expectations. And it's an incredibly exciting time in the life of the church. I've been reading this week and listening to some of those sermons, and something struck me. In John 15, Jesus made an absolute statement about our inability to walk in the fullness of our destinies in God without growing in prayer. He said that unless we abide in him, we can do nothing regarded, related to bearing fruit or, or maturing in our spiritual lives. John 15, 5 says, He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing to abide, to stay, to wait, to remain. We are not the source of our spiritual lives ourselves. We cannot generate it. It's not man-made. We cannot receive it unless we abide. The Holy Spirit will move in a powerful way, a new way in our hearts as we learn and we grow in prayer. And he's doing this. He's doing this in me. And I've spoken to so many of you in these last few weeks as you're praying in the house of prayer. He's doing it in you too. We've only got to go into the prayer room and look at the walls and hear the testimonies. It's so exciting. And if you're not yet involved, we're at the beginning of this journey. This is an invitation. It's not too late. Come and be part of this with us. So we're taking time to focus on pressing in and learning about prayer corporately. We're saying in BBC, prayer is an absolute priority. Yeah? And this month, more than 700 corporate hours of prayer. This is amazing. Before I speak specifically about intercession this morning, I've got a question. And this question could be a sermon in itself, so I'm just going to suggest an answer to the question because that will be a problem. Why is prayer absolutely necessary? After all, he's a sovereign and an all-powerful God. He can do what he wants to do. Why pray for things that he can just change? I think a lot of us struggle with these questions. I, I struggle with this question. Dutch Sheets, I've stolen a lot of his stuff this morning. I apologize in advance. Penned an answer to this question, which I think helps us as we consider intercession today. He says, God chose from the time of creation to work on the earth through humans. He initially created Adam to rule, yes. Not independent of them. He always has and he always will, even at the cost of becoming one. Though God is sovereign and all-powerful, Scripture clearly tells us that he limited himself concerning the affairs of earth to working through man. In creating man with a free will 
and by making him the partner of the rule of earth, he limited himself. Then they, we, were forever to be God's link to authority and activity on this earth. If you don't agree with that part, probably we're not going to agree as we move forward, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> so, this is important as we look at intercessory prayer, so let's keep it in mind. There was one weekend which started my personal intercession journey, and it was many years ago. I was a medical student in Nottingham, and it was a Friday, and I was on placement. And a friend of mine called me, and she said, I've just seen this girl in A&E, and, and I'm just broken. And this young girl, I never knew her name, I never knew her age, had come into A&E and she tried to kill herself by, by drinking bleach. And she drank in a lot of bleach. And her mum had found her sometime later and called an ambulance. The bleach had burnt through her esophagus and the investigations had shown that, that this had happened. And the prognosis was pretty poor. There was a good chance this girl was going to die. And on hearing this, it affected me. I couldn't get this girl out of my head, but, but more than it just feeling sad, I felt burdened. I felt I couldn't move away from this girl. I went to a, we had a half a night of prayer or something at the church that night, and I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what to do, but this girl was on my heart. And I remember I sat there, and there was a cross in the room like this one, and I must have looked like such an idiot, but I, I sat on my knees and I lifted this girl up to the cross. I literally, I sat there and I just held her up in my hands. And I had no idea of the words to use. I had no idea how to pray. I was so in, young in faith in some ways, but I had only one thing that I did know. And that was the only option, the only hope for this girl was at the cross of Calvary. That was it. That was all she had. And I left that, that meeting still feeling burdened. Nothing had really changed. And I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and it just happened that there was another prayer meeting that I was going to. It was like a trumpet call, an intercessory prayer meeting. So I rocked up to that. I did exactly the same thing for hours. I sat there looking like an idiot, just holding this girl up. There were no beautiful words. There was nothing. I literally just held her to Jesus. You know, I left that meeting and I called my mum. And my mum still remembers this conversation today. And I was telling her about her and telling her how I felt. And then the burden just lifted and I went to the gym. And that was it. <laughs> and on the Monday morning, my friend called me. She's like, Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. I was like, okay, child, calm down, calm down. She said, that girl left the hospital at 20 past 12 on the Saturday. She went home. I don't know what happened, but all I know is the burden lifted and she went home. I don't know any more than that. As I said, I don't even know her name. After experiencing this, I began questioning, what is our role in prayer? Previous teachings that I'd heard and experiences I'd had felt lacking to me. But I look back and it fills me with such hope. You know, I was so young and I really didn't know very much. <laughs> How full of grace he is. Yeah? I started a journey that day. And in prayer, we learn on a journey. We learn by praying. He takes us in our heart where we are. We don't need to be the expert as we start. But our heart has to be inclined to him, and we've got to understand what happened at that cross. 
I love the vineyard thing, everybody gets to play. It's not a game, we're not talking games here. But this is the reality. He's not looking for the finished product, he's looking for people ready to get their hands dirty and get involved. And you know, I could have chosen that day not to accept that burden. I could have gone to a club, I could have gone for a drink, I could have gone to bed, I could have chosen not to pray. And something that was might not have been. So today, if you've been a Christian for many years, I believe this message is for you. If you've just given your life to Jesus, this is for you. If you feel inadequate, if you don't know enough, welcome to the club. It's for you as well. If the theory of this stuff blows your mind, that's me. But God is looking for our hearts, our willingness to trust in him, our willingness to listen to him. Our willingness to look at the word of God and take it for what it says, not watering it down to a manageable worldly level and then working on acting on that. And he's asking us to step out in obedience and faith in prayer. So we're going to try and unpack something of intercession this morning. Literally, we're just going to scratch the surface. There's not one specific passage on intercession which kind of sums it up. So I'm going to be pulling bits together and trying to create a a jigsaw or a puzzle of different things. And by no means am I going to get it all. There's big passages on intercession that I'm not even going to mention where where in the Bible it talks about night and day prayer, changing things. I'm not even going to talk about that. Or in Daniel when he prayed for 21 days and it says what happened in the heavens and the earth and the enemy was just fighting the prayers getting through. I'm not even going to talk about that. There's so much more than what I'm going to talk about. So if you're excited and riled by it this morning, go and see what the word is saying about intercession. I'm definitely speaking this morning as a fellow learner. I am no expert. But if what I'm saying is truth, it changes something in me, and it actually changes something in the world we live in. S.D. Gordon, a writer and a preacher in the late 19th and 20th century, says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer is striking the winning blow, and service is gathering up the results. Andrew Murray, a big prayer guy, a big prayer teacher says, we must begin to believe that God, in the mystery of prayer, has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and can bring its power down to earth. (sighs) What is intercession? The concept of intercession, going between, mediating, pleading for another, representing another. The Hebrew word for intercession is parga. I don't know if I say it right. And it means to meet. It's not necessarily prayer, but it has shades of meaning, all which can be done as we pray. So we're not just talking about a prayer. It's a meeting. Intercessory prayer is praying for others, for people, for places, for organizations, for governments. And it takes on many different expressions, many of which I saw as I looked around the prayer room this week. We're praying for the sick, for people in crisis, for our friends that are struggling, for revival in the church, for justice, for salvation of people that don't yet know Jesus, for social transformation. They're the things we're praying for. Some refer to intercession as contending in prayer. 
I think somehow that day I was contending in prayer for that girl. The word carry, sorry, the word contend carries the meaning of believing God and working together with him to bring about great change. We contend with God for God's purposes and destiny in people and places and organizations, what we're praying for. We're praying, I know from the prayer room, for strategic issues in society, for government. We're praying for those, for deliverance for those that are, that are involved in trafficking and persecution and injustice. These are some of the examples that we pray for in intercessory prayer. You know, I often get woken from sleep and I have cars in my mind or aeroplanes and I and I stop myself, I wake up and I pray for what I'm being shown. And I'll never really know what those prayers mean. But that's one of the way God speaks to me, I believe. It's cars, vehicles, people. And actually, when we were on our way back from our holiday quite recently, there was a horrendous accident in front of us and there was a lorry and multiple cars. And on the radio, we heard about it as well as seeing it ahead and the doom that they spoke about this accident and as a family we prayed in the car we really prayed in the car and we lifted that that whole situation up to Jesus and we celebrated when there was no fatalities I'll never know maybe there was never going to be fatalities we don't know but that's how we can pray to get a better understanding we do need to back up a little bit after the fall and sin came into the world, man was separated from God, yeah? Jesus came down to earth as a man. He became the intercessor, the mediator, going between and representing God to man, yes? He came and he drew us a picture of God, and he said, now you know something of what he looks like and how to, how to relate to him. It says in Hebrews 1, Jesus is the ultimate the final go-between. He's the apostle, the sent one by God to the human race. And what? The high priest. He's the one, not just the sacrifice, but our representation to God. And he continues this work of mediation, being our advocate with the Father. 1 John 2. And now he's functioning now, today, as that representative, guaranteeing our access to our Father and the benefits of redemption. This stuff's really important. It, it changes the way we pray. I read this, and I'm going to modify it, and I'm not pretending I'm God, so please don't get offended with me, but I'm just going to say it anyway. When I pray, I see it like Jesus is sitting there, seated at the right hand of God, and he's saying something to God like, Father, Hannah's here to talk to you. She's here in my name, based on my merits and my righteousness. I'm sure you remember that I've gone between you and Hannah and I've provided her with access to you and she has a few things to ask of you. And you can imagine God, I'm not speaking on behalf of God, saying, of course I remember, son. You made her one of ours. Because she came through you, she's always welcome. Hannah, come boldly and put your requests to me. Yeah? Jesus is interceding for us so that we can pray. This is, what, this is what is meant by when we ask in his name. That transaction happens every time we pray in his name. We're praying because of what he has done. 
the cross was the absolute ultimate work of mediation. Prior to the cross, we needed two things, and Jesus completely accomplished both of them. He went between God and man, and he reconciled us to the Father. Yeah? And what, did he, what else did he do? He went between Satan and man, and he broke the hold he had. Those two things happened at the cross. And it was the redemptive work of intercession, and it's absolutely complete. It's been done, it's over, it's finished. It says in 1 Timothy 2, For there is one God, one mediator, also between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. It's been done, he's the intercessor. Why am I talking about this? Why is it important? Because our prayers of intercession are always, always, and only ever an extension of his work of intercession. Because God works, <laughs> because God looks at absolutely everything we say through his intercession. And actually, that understanding completely changes the way that we pray. Dutch Sheet says, intercessory prayer is an extension of the ministry of Jesus through his body, his church, whereby we mediate between God and humanity for the purpose of reconciling the world to him or between Satan and humanity for the purpose of enforcing Calvary. How does it change the way we pray? We ask God to extend his mercy and his salvation to a person or a place or a, a nation. And I can use the example before I said of the girl in A&E. As we're praying, the father could reply. He could reply, how can I do this? She actually doesn't know me. Actually, she's, she's a sinner. We're all sinners. And besides, she doesn't even want me to do this. She's not even asking me herself. Is she? I'm, I'm praying on her behalf. But then we say, because Jesus interceded and mediated for her father, I'm asking based upon what he did. And he needs a human on this earth to ask for him. Why? Because he's in heaven. So you've taught me, you've taught me to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's exactly what Karen said last week. I'm asking God for some laborers to be sent to minister to her. I'm asking for this to be done entirely based on the redemptive work that you've already done. And what does the father say? Obviously, I'm not saying it. He's saying, you've got it. Come on, Gabriel, let's send them. You've got this stuff. This is the way we pray, and it's so important. Jesus taught us how to intercede. The Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What does this mean for us? We have to be really, really clear about some things when we're talking about this stuff. We don't deliver anyone. We don't reconcile anyone to God. We don't defeat any enemy. Reconciliation is absolutely complete. Deliverance and victory are complete. Salvation is complete. Intercession, Jesus is the intercessor. He, the ultimate work of intercession has been done. But we do have a key role here. We have a key role in asking for the release and the application of these things. Oh, the best verse. I just love it so much. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, I send you. 
the Father's human was Jesus. Jesus' humans are us. We are his workforce. We can choose to be his laborers. This is the reality. What's the importance of being a sent one? Sent ones only have authority as long as they represent the sender. This is a significant part of this. Jesus being a sent one of God was mentioned 40 times in John's gospel. Even he kept saying, I'm sent, I'm sent. We, we're sent, we're sent. You know, this isn't just about a workforce. It's not transactional. This isn't supposed to be burdensome. This isn't duty or pressure. He longs for relationship with the ones he loves, yeah? Abide in me and I will abide in you. He wants to partner with us to accomplish his purposes. This is about partnership. He's the victor. But actually, we can be the enforcer. He's the redeemer. But we can release that. Jesus is the head. And we are supposed to be the body. Yeah? God and man, the pattern of partnership. My prayers of intercession released Christ's finished work of intercession. What does this look like? Intercession creates a meeting. The Hebrew word for intercession is to meet. I said it's not primarily a prayer, but something can be done through prayer. Intercessors meet with God, and actually they can meet with the enemy. We meet God and we ask him to meet with another person, to change something. We become the go-between. As Christ did through spiritual warfare, our meeting with the enemy is to undo something, a severing, a breaking, a disuniting. And our prayers of intercession will always involve one or both of these things. We reconcile, we break, we unite, we disunite, all enforcing what happened at Calvary, the victory of Calvary. So we say, Heavenly Father, we meet with him. And we say, I come to you asking me to meet with asking you to meet with another. I've thought about a few principles of intercession. We're a church that loves to worship, yeah? And worship is such an important part of what we do. And in worship, we agree with who God is and what he's done, yeah? In intercession, we agree with what he's done and what he promises to do. It's a different thing. In intercessory worship, we do both. It says in John 4, the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. This isn't necessarily easy, but it is really simple. And this is for absolutely everybody. The primary principle of intercession is to tell God what he has told us to tell him. That's that's what we've got to do. And we tell him this as a means of releasing his power. This is profoundly simple. Mike Bickle says, mystery lies in its weakness, its simplicity and its accessibility to all. Intercession is God's brilliant strategy for including the saints in ruling with him in power. This is for everybody. The spoken word of God releases power. 
When Jesus articulates the Father's thoughts, he functions as a living word, doesn't he? One reason that he's called the word in John 1.1 is that he brings God's ideas into existence in this world. I spoke last time on Ephesians 6 about the word of God functioning as the sword of the spirit. These things are all key and they're all linked. The sword of Jesus' mouth refers to his power being released by the commandments of his mouth. As he has sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. But guys, we can't speak what we don't know. As we abide in him, we meditate on his word and his word becomes part of us. Understanding what took place at that cross at Calvary and and meditating and knowing the word of God are absolutely pinnacally important in, 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 in intercession. Another thing to say here is that only he knows the timing of these things. I prayed for the girl in Amy for less than 24 hours and something happened, but I'd been praying for other people for years and years and years. Something's changed instantly. People are healed. People are set free. I don't understand those things. And I've got something else that's really exciting to tell you. This does not matter how articulate you are, how nicely sounding your prayers are. This is all bull. It's nothing. It does not matter. This is about, do we know what happened here and do we know how to use it? That's it. Terence said a few weeks ago, I think we all, including me, struggle with this. We have to trust and commit the why into his hands. I pray for people that have died. I pray for people who haven't been healed. I don't understand. One lady with motor neurone disease we prayed for for so many years, and I was at a I was camping and I woke up in the morning and God said to me, she's going to die today and it's okay. And I'm like, what? What? And this was before she died. She died at 11.59 that night. But I knew in the morning she was going to die that day. But somehow it was okay. I don't understand. E.M. Bounds says, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces against evil. The prayer of God's saints are the capital stock of heaven by which God carries his great plan on earth. The condition, God conditions the very life and the prosperity of his cause on prayer. Oh my gosh. This is his plan A. You and me, his church, sent ones, supernatural but absolutely flawed and uh, ordinary who wholeheartedly believe in the cross of Calvary and its absolute authority, its absolute finality. Finality, whatever the word is. That's where the power is. And we're called to rise up in our role as sent ones, ambassadors, authorized individuals, representatives of the victor. And our challenge isn't to liberate. It's to believe in the liberator. It's not to heal. It's to believe in the healer. And guys, we have a choice. I, every time I come up here and I'm like, we have choices here. The title of this message was Prayer is the Greater Work. Oswald Chambers wrote, prayer does not fit us for greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I'm going back to that quote again from Esty Gordon that said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. But before you've prayed, 
you can do no more. Prayer is striking that winning blow. It's breaking the things that need breaking. And service gathers up the results. I don't know about you. This can be really, it's really hard. I don't know if you're doing a service without the prayer part and you feel frustrated. Or actually, you're not doing either. Or the idea of abiding is, is brand new. Or you feel weary because you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you haven't seen the fruits of that. Guys, there's no condemnation here. There's no condemnation. This is not a guilt trip. I'm not trying to like persuade you into doing something. I'm not trying to tell you you're not good. This is not what it's about. But this morning, not just this morning, but I believe this morning, he is calling the laborers. There is so much pain. There's so much suffering in this world. There's so much injustice. It's overwhelming. You just got to put that news on. It's overwhelming. But guys, we are not powerless. We're not powerless. This is not lacking in hope. This is not hopeless. For me, I, I dread to hear the father say as he did in Ezekiel. I looked, but I found no one. Or when Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is plenty, but what? The laborers are few. We have a choice. I believe this morning that God, and I, I put, posted on social media a few weeks ago, and it's really been in my spirit for a while, that he's putting people and places and things on people's hearts and and I think he's asking for you to take them, to take some kind of, it's not responsibility because it's the yoke is easy and the burden is like whatever. But it's, it's saying I'm going to pray for the thing that's been put on my heart and I'm not going to do it in a half-arsed way. I'm going to do it. I'm really going to pray. And this morning there's an opportunity and an invitation, there's always an invitation, to lift, to meet with God and ask him to meet with another to meet with God and ask him to, to intervene in something else. To meet with God and put the person or the thing up to that cross. I'm going to repeat what I said about worship. The worship band are going to come back. And in worship, we agree with who he is and what he has done. And in intercession, we do what? We, we, we agree with what he's done and the promises. The Bible is full of them. In intercession, we carry those promises and we pray them into things. The spoken word of God. In intercessory worship, we do both of those things. So this morning, I want us to, to partake. I'm sure that lots of us already do. I'm sure many, many of us do. But now I think there's a call to intercessory worship where we look and we ask God what's on our heart and we use this opportunity to to press into that and to, to, to press in. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm looking for the worship band. There. <laughs> You're there. I think as they come up, that this thing of powerlessness and hopelessness is something in the spiritual realm which is not of God. And it's something that can be broken. And I think for people who have been praying for the same thing or are praying and they feel that power, powerlessness and hopelessness, God wants to break that off you today. And if that's you, then you, 
you can have somebody pray for you if you want, but you don't actually need somebody to pray for you. You just have to, have to ask him to recognize what the truth is, that he is all-powerful and he has a plan, and that we are the laborers and we're going to come in and enforce something because of that. Actually, that thing will break off you today. He wants, to leave, he wants you to leave this room full of hope, full of expectation, and full of the feeling that through him, through what he has done, powerlessness is not an option. Yeah?